Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Well, welcome to Sunday morning service or afternoon service, whichever uh, you happen to be joining us during here on our second full Sunday of virtual services during this uh, coronavirus shelter-in-place order. And we want to welcome you, whether you're joining us on Facebook Live or whether you're uh, watching on our live stream broadcasts, whether you're on a phone, a tablet, a television, uh, maybe you're projecting this into your backyard, but uh, we want to give you some semblance uh, of normality. And so uh, as we continue our journey through the Bible together, the Lord has clearly spoken to me uh, that it's time for us to get back to our series uh, here in the Gospel of Luke. I want to remind you that one of the things that we don't want to do is to panic uh, during this time of crisis. And um, many churches around the world are still very dependent upon uh, the financial gifts that we send to them each and every month to support those churches. Uh, most of you that have attended here for any length of period of time realize that we have uh, over 50 churches in South, Central, and Latin America that we support on a monthly basis. Uh, we have eight different facilities, uh, some Bible colleges, um, that we are their sole means of support, and we are not going to give in uh, to the temptation to cut back from that support during this time of our own need. And so we're going to continue uh, to support the churches and the people that we have invested in around the world during this very difficult time because they need the same amount of help that they needed before. And so know that your giving, your tithes, your offerings, gifts are going to good use and they're still going to the very same places uh, that they were going before this crisis started. I would ask you now, <clears throat> if you turn in your Bible, as we always uh, do here, to Luke's Gospel, to chapter 6, and to a study that is the final installment here of our Savior's Saga, part 14. <clears throat> and we find Jesus in this incredible space that is his public ministry. And this struck me as I was studying early this morning that in so many ways, Jesus went through what every pastor in the world is going through right now. And that is, he always had more people to minister to than he had time, more things to be engaged in than there were hours in the day to do. And he would face very, very strong criticism uh, irregardless of what he did, no matter how he ministered, Jesus was going to receive criticism. And if he, being the Son of God, would receive criticism for the way he ministered, I, I think it's fairly safe to say that we who are attempting to follow uh, in his path of discipleship and trying to be a little bit Christ-like as we live out our lives in ministry here on this earth, we're probably going to face some criticism. 
And I know that for me, I, I've received emails, some uh, very kind and encouraging this week, and many that were not only not kind and not encouraging, uh, but seemingly to have every imaginable uh, contention with me over how we're handling church here, and uh, some saying, why are we not getting together and defying the federal government, and others saying, you know, how come there's anybody here? Why are you putting people at risk for having cameramen or worship team members come to the church? Uh, I can tell you that there is no perfect answer for anything that's going on in our world right now, and we are all doing our very best. And Jesus now gives us a picture of how he strengthened himself in the times of great difficulty. And so we'll pick up in verse 12 in chapter 6 of Luke's gospel. Would you join me? And let's pray and ask God to bless our time in his word. Father, we thank you for this incredible example of your son, Jesus, and how he responded to this deep time of need for the people. And so, Lord, we pray that you would move by your spirit, Lord, through the airwaves, through the ways that we can meet virtually, through computers and iPads and iPhones and televisions, Lord, through Facebook, through this time where we cannot meet together physically, uh, but we know that your spirit joins us uh, no matter where we are and no matter what we're doing. We could be in Antarctica watching on television right now, and uh, Father, you would still send your spirit to dwell between us. And so use your word to instruct your church. Encourage us, Lord, in this time where we're waiting for you to bring a cure uh, to this disease. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 12 here in Luke 6, and we see Jesus, interestingly enough, dependent on his father in prayer. And now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray. Now, you may be saying, well, Pastor Jeff, I can't go to the beach. I can't go to the mountain. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get a ticket if I walk down my street. I can't go out to pray. And I want to remind you that God's ears are inclined towards his children. If you're inside the closet of your home, he still hears you. It's not dependent on a place. It's dependent on power, the dunamis power of the Spirit of God to alive in our hearts, to speak to the Father at such a time as this. If Jesus needed to hear his Father's voice during a time of crisis, how much more do we need to hear the Father's voice in a time of crisis? And he continued all night in prayer to God. I want you to notice something. He was with no one. He was by himself. And you may be saying to yourself, well, I'm tired of being by myself. I'm tired of being by myself. Fortunately, I have two Labradors and a wonderful wife, uh, and, and we're making the best of it, as I'm sure many of you are. But none of us like what's going on right now. But I want you to see what Jesus did in the face of a time that he was looking to make some of the most major decisions in his ministry. He continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, 
He called his disciples to himself, and he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. When Jesus was seeking to find out who it was that his father would have for him as those men that we would call apostles, Jesus spent the night in prayer. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a a traitor. Beloved, there's a fixed law in the ministry of Jesus that he never acted independently of his Father's will. Never. He came to seek that which is the will of his Father and to accomplish that, and that alone did Jesus come to do. Jesus didn't act independently in that sense. His Father's will was always in view. And though sin began its evil work in the Garden of Eden, the good work of God continued even then. And you may be saying that this insidious disease that we're facing is ruining my life or governing my life or destroying my country. Let me remind you that the sovereign God of heaven and earth has not fallen from his throne that if Jesus sought the will of his Father, how much more in this time do we need to be seeking the face of our Father? And so the question becomes, what are we going to do in crisis? Not can God solve this crisis, but are we going to seek him in the midst of a crisis just as we see Jesus do here? Because if you think about who the apostles are and who they were and what we know about them, probably none of us watching right now online or those few that are in uh, this sanctuary right now handling some technological aspect of this service, perhaps manning a camera, probably none of us are going to choose these 12 people. There's nothing to be desired of any of them. There's not a theologian amongst them. They're not stellar in any human capacity so far as the Bible speaks of their lives. And in fact, we know almost nothing about most of them. And so Jesus connecting with Father God over this tremendous decision is the way that Jesus himself sought the will of his Father. Too often we make our blunders and then talk to God. Too often we plan our plans, we make our way, and then we ask God to bless the mess. We we need to seek him first and his kingdom, and then all of these things will be added unto us. Our problem has always been that we are self-governing. We're independent of the will of the Father. We're, We're seeking our own will. We want to do what we want to do. That has always caused us problems. That was the problem in the garden. 
And it remains the problem today. And here we see the Lord Jesus himself fully dependent on the faithfulness of his father. Right now, we are in that time in our country where we're forced to be dependent on the faithfulness of our father. Can anyone tell me maybe is this God's will for us to break us of our self-governance? Could this be that God is keeping us from relying on the government instead of God? I wonder if this isn't his exact perfect will because we have strayed so far from his word. We have begun this this downward spiral into a moral abyss that perhaps God is trying to square away right now. Jesus had nowhere to go save his father. And I want to encourage you this morning, this afternoon, while you're watching, ask yourself, am I dependent on God? Or are you just simply asking him to straighten out your fiasco? Are you asking him to undo your mess? Wouldn't it be better if you didn't get in the mess in the first place? Why was Jesus praying? Now, I hope you take no offense at this, but he was specifically praying for the 12 knuckleheads that would be his disciples. Not the 12 brilliant, outstanding citizens who were theologians, obviously the religious elite of the day. These guys were effectively the bottom of the barrel in many ways. They weren't chosen because they were already, you know, these stellar men of God. They were works in progress. Most of the master's men as we know them were not men of of great fabric. They were tattered. They were torn. Their lives had significant marks of deficiency. And so I ask you, as you look at this situation, are you leaning on God so that you can have those things which you have need of? Because if you go it alone, if you listen to the news media right now, you're probably going to be in a state of panic. If you're listening to all of the things that are going on in the world right now, you would think that the world is going to collapse today. Can I tell you that is not true? It's not true. Are we facing an epidemic? Yes. A pandemic? Yes, according to the government. But is it unprecedented in human history? Not remotely. The question is, where are you going to turn when a pandemic comes? Are you going to turn to the Lord? Jesus turned to his father. You see, he picked a doubting Thomas. He he picked John who was devoted to him. He picked 
diligent Matthew and devious Judas. He, he picked these men about whom we, we know not much, not because they were already prepared, but because God the Father had instructed him, I want you to pick Peter. I, I, I need Simon in that place. Now we know after the fact that Simon was no bargain for Jesus. So Simon is this man of, of absolute ability to stick his foot in his mouth at any moment and have total lack of clarity about anything that, that has a remote sense of stability with regard to God's plans, and at the same time, seemingly able to recognize his own failure and repent instantaneously. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not picking somebody like that as my prime follower. Jesus sought the will of his father, and the will of the father was to work with somebody like Peter, to move in Peter's life. You see, as Jesus was praying, he needed to know emphatically what his father wanted. We need to know emphatically what our father wants. Now, again, you may be offended. The KFC comes in three groups of four, the knuckleheads for Christ, as I like to refer to them. And I, I you know, if you're offended by that, I'm sorry. But I look at these men, and I'm so grateful for the fact that I don't see a Charles Spurgeon amongst them or an A.W. Tozer or a G.K. Chesterton or a Charles Wesley. There's no Finney. There's no Calvin. There's no Luther. There's no theologian among them. There's nobody who's even seen a Bible in that sense. Oh, yeah, they've gone to synagogue. They've heard the Torah read aloud, no doubt. But they're just three groups of four men who ultimately God wants to use. And it seems as though each group is led by a specific person. First group's headed by Peter, the second by Philip, the third by James. There always seems to be a mention of the, the leader first. And so God is a God of order and does appear to be using these men for very specific purposes in specific places. But they're not exactly from Jerusalem. They don't come from Judea. They're from the Galilee of the Gentiles. They're, they're, for all intents and purposes, hicks from the sticks. They're nobodies from nowhere. They're uneducated, they're ill-equipped, they're ill-trained. They've got nowhere to go but up. And I, and I wonder sometimes if that uplook being our outlook isn't what God's after. Could it be that the Lord is trying to 
keep us looking up by not placing people on the pedestal that belongs only to God. There's only to be one object of our worship, of our affection, that's the Lord himself. And sometimes we put people on that pedestal of power and privilege, and then the only thing that can happen to them is they can fall from it because they're never worthy of that place. One of the reasons I think it's so beautiful that we see the failure of the apostles is that it allows us to understand that the gospel is not about Peter. The gospel isn't about John. It's not about Bartholomew or Andrew. It was never about either of the two men named Judas. It's always been about Jesus. And so what happens to me when I read this passage is I realize the centrality of what the Lord's trying to speak to us here, and that is this is supposed to be about Jesus. It's about who God is in our life. It's not about who these men were in our lives. Grateful for every one of them. I thank God that I know that John was known as the beloved. We all love to think about him placing his head on Jesus' breast. I'm grateful for Peter because it gives hope for me. Yes, I think about these men, but they're to drive me to my knees to remember who my king is, who my savior is, whom it is that I owe allegiance to, who is worthy of my worship. I've listened to so many messages about, you know, what was the final dispensation of Judas Iscariot? Was he actually a believer who fell away or was he an unbeliever? It doesn't matter. The Bible's not about Judas Iscariot. It's a story of redemption and restoration. It's hope for mankind. It's to drive us to remember who God is. And when you think about some of the details of these men's lives, the first five of them were simply neighbors. They all came from Bethsaida. There's an interesting series of two articles in biblical archaeology this month, and there's actually two places the Department of Antiquities in Israel has named this place Uh, that's actually almost a mile from the current shore of the Sea of Galilee, and it's quite a ways from the mouth of the River Jordan. And yet the Bible says that these men were fishermen, and it doesn't make much sense to be fishermen and live a mile from the Sea of Galilee. But they were simply neighbors. And so there at El Araj, the, the current location, I think makes more sense to me personally, they just uncovered a Byzantine church that appears to be the Church of the Apostles. And the reason that it was dismissed for so long is it was supposed to be below the surface of the sea until they found this evidence of a floodplain that had washed over this particular community, burying it in silt. And so we know some details, but what we basically know is these guys knew each other. You've got a couple of sets of brothers. You've got some cousins. 
You've got sons of thunder and a man who probably cries more than he should. You see, when you look at these men, the inner circle, all you see is our need for a Savior. All you really see is some men who are incapable uh, in and of themselves of, of being much of anything. And I think it points us to the reality of our own lives and living. You, you have the lengthy career of the Apostle John as he lives out his life and spends the final years of his life on an island in the middle of the Aegean Sea, Patmos. It's believed that his grave now is in Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. He was one of the sons of thunder, and he died an old man in a cave. It's never about us. It's not about who we are. It's about who he is. It's not about our understanding. Yes, we have to think with our mind and we have to believe in our heart. But were the gospel not the gift of grace, none of us could be saved. None of us could be right. None of us would be righteous before a holy God. And so Jesus turns to his father to, to seek out these men whom God could pour his spirit into to accomplish work that's impossible, in essence, because of their own humanness. As I've said so often, when, when God sees me get up in the morning, he, he functions at a deficit because I didn't die in my sleep. I create issues for God. My humanness, my inability to be exactly perfect in, in what everyone needs. God has to make up for my deficiencies every day. And I'm so grateful that he would still use me in any capacity. I sit here talking to several cameras, an almost entirely empty sanctuary, normally brimming with people, I have to ask myself, Lord, is this about me or is this about you? This is about him. I'm not here because I have something to give you. He wants to speak to you. And he lowers his expectation and would use someone like me to accomplish that purpose because he could do it himself. God could, by his voice, simply speak to the whole world simultaneously, but he delights to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He enjoys taking former contractors, developers, people, business people, also tax collectors, fishermen that are willing to lay down their own lives and follow him. 
to speak of his goodness and his glory. And we'll always be unworthy of that calling, always. Never is anyone worthy of the great things that God would ever do through us. And it mind boggles me when I think that here these men that Jesus has prayed for, who will follow him around for the next three years, were on one hand so unworthy, and yet on the other hand, so mightily used of a glorious God. And it gives me hope for me and for us and for an end to this current drama that we're all living out. You see, the beautiful attraction here is that who can't be ministered to by people who are not perfect? Can I tell you when I listen to you know, maybe Dr. Anthony Fauci on the news, I can't quite relate to the way his mind understands the medical condition of all things that are going on in our country right now. He's so far above my understanding that when I hear him speak, he's unrelatable. And in the very same way, if God were to himself apply himself fully in all of his glory, with all of his majesty and wisdom and strength and knowledge to directly impacting us each individually as humankind, we would be so far out of our comfort zone that we wouldn't get it. And so God sends to us messengers like me, like our pastoral staff, like Dr. McDonald, people who have their faults, their failures, their weaknesses, but God still loves and pours into. And only God can determine the usefulness of the vessel. That's not for me to decide. If he chose Peter, who can't he choose? If he could use a man like John who seemingly got emotional about everything. Who can he not use? If he could choose five people who knew each other from the same minuscule fishing village, who can he not use for his glory? Do you want to know the crazy thing? The remainder of our passage And verse 17, it says, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with the crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, Perhaps we might say this was the the crowd of mentally ill, homeless people who were diseased from being out in the elements, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him for dunamis, power, went out from him, and he healed them all. 
There was no magic plan here. There was no monumental facility. There was no campus. There was no organized church. They didn't have a building. They had a pile of dirt by a lakeshore. They spent their time, if you will, wandering around the hills of Judea. This area that we will come to next as we study the abbreviated, or what I like to call the mini-beatitudes in Luke's gospel. You see, we're going to begin Easter week next week, family. It's Palm Sunday. Are, Are we going to abandon our brotherhood, our fellowship, because we have to meet virtually? Are we going to get excited about the opportunity to simply be touched by Jesus no matter where we're at? If these people could gather on the lake shore of the Sea of Galilee at a place that we would call the Mount of Beatitudes or the Cove of the Sower, if we're going to meet on a hillside or we're going to meet on a camera, are we still not meeting the King of Kings who can heal? Are we still not able to be touched by the one who is still magnificent, whose name is still the great I am? We sung about him. He's still Jehovah Rapha. He is still able to heal all. He is still Jehovah Jireh. He is able to provide for all. He is still El Shaddai and El Gabor. He's still able to have power, dunamis power dynamite power, dynamo power to accomplish anything and everything of his desire and will. You see these beautiful places that we see as we travel through the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the land of Israel. We often think in a, in a sense that, that they're disassociated from reality when in fact these places were all very near one another. Capernaum, Bethsaida, the Cove of the Sower, Tabka, the Mount of Beat, all these places were walking distance. Now, we may not be able to walk to one another's houses. We may be separated by miles. We may be bound by the boundaries of some law that's been uh, handed down our way. We may have not descended from the cliffs of Arbel or the horns of Hattin and come down to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. We may not be near Magdala or Tabka, but we are every bit as near to the Lord as the disciples were because the same spirit that was in them is in us. The same power that was resident in Jesus is available to you right now today. And the truth of the matter is, is told to us here, Jesus loved them all. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he didn't see the multitudes, he saw the men. He saw the people. He saw who we are. He saw you where you are today. Jesus is not an impersonal God. He is the lover of our souls. 
And as these multitudes came to hear him, and as he healed them of all their diseases, as that power, that dynamite or that dunamis power was available to each of them, that same power is available to you right now. And I want to encourage you, church, don't give up. Don't surrender. Do not think this is going to last forever. Jesus is more than enough to conquer coronavirus. He's more than enough to restore your finances. He is more than sufficient to touch whatever brokenness is coming to you at this time of great difficulty. He was not taken aback by the severity of what we're facing as a nation, as a world. He cares about those in China that are affected with this disease. He absolutely is concerned with you and your family and all of the things that you personally are facing right now. He knows what you have need of before you do. And he has sufficient power to take care of those needs. For my God shall supply all of my needs. According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, if I make my request to him, if by prayer and supplication, I will talk to him. The very thing that Jesus did, we need to be doing. My joy will never come from a, a, a television set. My joy won't come from the latest, greatest vacation or the newest model of some car or an increase in my pay. My joy is only from the Lord and always from the Lord. And that joy is my strength. And so as we face this time, yet another week is going to be added to the days of our captivity. And we can do nothing about it, nor should we attempt to be rebellious about it. The world is watching to see how the church is going to respond during this time. And so I encourage you, be an example of peace and joy and gentleness, meekness and self-control. Make sure that people can look at you and say, what's different about your life? Why are you at peace during this time of turmoil? And churches, we bear the imprimatur of our Savior. We bear the mark of our Savior. As we have been imparted with the Holy Spirit to reside within us as part of our salvation experience, so we have the opportunity to allow people to see what that does to us what it will do through us. People sought to touch Jesus. That is why Jesus said, I, you will not always have. You won't always have me. He said, you now are the light of the world. And your light should not be hidden under a bushel basket, but revealed for the entire world to see, so that he might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
And so during this time, we have the opportunity to let men see our good works. We are still giving out bags of food every single day to those that have need. We're allowed to have a skeleton crew to do that. PPEs, yes, they're gloved up. They have more hand sanitizer than they know what to do with. But we have an opportunity right now for the power of the risen Christ to be available for people to see. Don't miss that opportunity. Don't miss it in your neighborhood, in your home. If you're able, if you're one of those people that is still able to go to work, maybe you have a job in community service or the medical professions or something that is not completely shut down, then be Jesus where you are. Love on people where you are. Let people be touched by him where you are because the world needs to see Jesus at this time. They've always needed to see Jesus. Now more than ever. And so let's let the world see Jesus in us. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful that you have loved us so deeply that you have sent your only begotten son to this world, that the world through him, through you, Jesus, could be saved. But Lord, it begins that journey of a lifetime that one day will end in glory. And Father, we pray that the things that we do would bring you glory and honor and praise, that we be busy about our Father's business during this time. You're the answer to this. You're the one that's allowed this. As much as we may not understand why, we don't get maybe your sovereign workings in all of this. But Lord, we rest in you and trust in you. Pray that you'd meet every single need, Lord, as people are crying out to you to take care of uh, their difficulties and problems. Lord, would you meet them right where they're at? Father, for those that have desire to know you as we have people online at this very moment willing to pray that incredible prayer of salvation, Lord, just committing ourselves to you as, as Savior and Lord. God, we just bless you for what you're going to do during this time. Continue to hold together your church. Would we not waver? Would we be as Paul there in Acts 20? Let none of these things move us, Lord. Not a virus, not a financial collapse. Lord, would we not be moved, but be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in that labor in you, knowing it's not in vain. Uh, because it's who you are in this world. You want to reach people, so use us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.